Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. So, dear ones, Dr. Glenn Thomas is not with us this morning. Yeah, aw, right? Aw, that's really, it's too bad. And it's too bad for many, 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 many reasons. Uh, But the one that I want to talk to you a little bit about right now is that we're about to sing together. And so this is an opportunity to have a little uh, sort of pop quiz, if you will. Have we absorbed some of his lessons about singing robustly so that we can do it even without his leadership? I see a bunch of you nodding. I see a whole bunch of you nodding. You're already like more awake than the 9 a.m. service was. So it's not that, you know, it's not that we have a little score sheet back there where we tally up how well each, you know, each service did, but we might. And so... The song that we're going to sing, the hymn that we're going to sing, is um, number uh, uh, 1001, um, Breaths. Uh, So just as a reminder, um, uh, the higher numbers, I think uh, actually anything over 1,000, is in uh, what we call the teal hymnal. That's this one right here. And um, I know it's been a while, maybe since some of you have used hymnals, but if you open it up to uh, 1001, you'll see the words for the hymn. Now, (laughs) this one, and you know, I mean, maybe I'm sort of filling in some of the younger people in in the sanctuary who don't know the hymnal quite so well, right? Um, This is the hymn with those breath noises. You remember that? You remember how that goes? The sa, whoosh. Let's try that, shall we? Sa. You all did that beautifully. You have, you have um, accomplished the most difficult part of this hymn. Congratulations. Uh, will you please rise in body or spirit as you feel moved as we sing breaths together? Thank you. 
Well done, everyone. See, we did okay. Welcome to First Universalist Church. My name is Ashley. I am one of the pastors here. Um, and we have so much happening today. It is so exciting. First and foremost, member Nancy Brown turned 90 yesterday. Can, can we sing happy birthday, Franco? make your way to the social hall after worship today to tell her happy birthday directly and to have some cake. Woohoo! And while you are down there, you can see some of the new artwork we have up by Melody Strong. Included in her exhibit are original illustrations from her children's award-winning books, which inform children that they are beautiful, brave, creative, friendly, healthy, and helpful. Also in Melody's exhibit are pieces from the Social Justice Billboard Project at George Floyd Memorial, and paintings from her, say it. Linnaeus de Sangre, right? Sangre exhibit, which examine and reflect her upbringing in Minnesota as a Latina. So check it out, it's beautiful. Families with babies and preschoolers, there is a gathering today from 12.30 to 2, you know, nap time. Um, <laughs> light snacks and fun activities available for all, for all who are awake. And now, I didn't expect that to be so funny, y'all. Thank you. You're making me feel so funny. Um, and now Krista Anders has an announcement. Morning, everyone. My name's Krista Anders, and I've been a member of this church for 27 years. I've served in a variety of positions, most recently on the Board of Trustees, and my partner Tom and I have raised our three boys here. I'm here today because I've been helping with some of the logistics for the Visionary Goals Project. For those who are not familiar, the Visionary Goals are those things that we aspire to as a church. They describe what we want to be as a faith community. And the board and the staff use the visionary goals to drive everything at the church. When I was on the board, for example, we used those visionary goals to help set the budget, and we evaluated the senior minister and the staff uh, to see how well they were doing against those goals. So I know you might be sitting there thinking on this beautiful morning, Krista, yeah, that sounds great, but I really don't care very much about the visionary goals. But if you care about worship, if you care about music, if you care about our social justice efforts, or religious education, or adult programming, or the events we put on, or the services that we provide, then, I hate to break it to you, you care about the visionary goals. And you want your voice to be included as we create and adopt those goals. Now, I mentioned that I have three sons, so that means that I'm really good at nagging. But I don't like to be a nag, so I'm just going to respectfully and politely ask you to sign up for a workshop. Please don't make me nag. There are papers outside the sanctuary. They look like this. They've got the fancy QR code on them, so you can just scan that and sign up for a workshop. You can also sign up through the church website. It's on the homepage. And if you go to the About tab and scroll down, you'll see Visionary Goals. You only need to attend one. There are in-person options. There are Zoom options. There are daytime options. There are evening options. There's childcare available if you request that um, up to one week in advance. And since I'm a mom, and I know that you're not as productive when you're hangry, there will be snacks. I attended a visionary goal workshop earlier this week. 
Arif said something during that um, session that really resonated with me. It was something like, we don't belong to a church just because we all believe the same thing, but because of what we will create together. So please, come, create together the church of our future. Let's take a few breaths together now. Let ourselves arrive in our bodies, in this space, or wherever you might be joining us from. We come from the earth, and to the earth we will return a place holy and dark, where divinity knits the web of life, queering beginnings and endings and beginnings. Eventually and with time, destruction is made fodder for seeds, death a nutrient for life, decay a slow unfolding of future's potential. It's not without its complications, this claim of eternal composting, for one thing, it smells wretched, but it is honest, and we need more of that. And anyway, behold the gardens and ponder ocean floors. Consider the harvests on which we feast, the tables set before wild things. To be born again like that, isn't that God? Isn't that redemption? Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that enough? Let us begin our worship together now as we light the chalice. Please join me in saying the words for our lighting of this chalice. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love and to help. where I was um, just a little bit too in the moment, and I forgot that there was a thing that I needed to do. Has <laughs> that ever happened to you? You're just so present with what's happening that you're like, oh, right, there's, there's a thing. In a moment, I'm going to invite uh, the young and uh, the young at heart to come up here and uh, help me tell a story. What we're going to do is we're going to do, um, it's not really a story, really. It's uh, an opportunity to share some practice time together. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come on up here and do some yoga with me. We're going to do one very simple pose, a child's pose. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. And, and that is what we will do. So I just want to sort of give you that, um, that sense of what you will be invited to do as you're deciding, whether you are um, young or young at heart. Um, so with that introduction, I invite anyone who feels moved to come on up here and join me. Um, as you're making your way up to the, uh, to the chancel uh, and up onto the chancel, I invite you to take off your shoes because, um, you know, it's gross outside and we don't want any of that like salt and mud and all that stuff up on us. So feel free to come on up if you feel moved. There's plenty of time. There's no rush. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Yeah, grab a spot where it feels comfy. I'll move further over here. All right. So, oh, it's so good to be up here with you all. So, how many of you have ever done yoga before? Yeah? All right. And a whole lot of folks out there, too. Okay. As we're getting started here, I want to invite you to just take a couple of breaths. You all at home can do this, too. And just notice 
how it feels inside you. And then I invite you, anyone who would like, to share a word about how it feels inside you this morning, if you'd like. Calm? Thank you. Peaceful? Mundane. Warm? Yeah. Excited? Calm? I heard a voice from somewhere out there. Hopeful. Thank you. I'm feeling kind of butterflies. Clear? Yeah. All right, so, and, and those of you scooching near the edge of the gym, I'm going to invite you, because if we do child's pose, I think we'll fall off. That's not good. <laughs> so let's back up a little bit so we have room. Okay, awesome. Um, I'm going to invite us to move into, um, move into child's pose now. And the way that you do that is, yep, you're already doing it. You kind of get up on your, on your knees and you have your feet under you. And you can move your knees apart if you need to and just lower yourself down till your head is on the floor. If head on floor is not accessible to you, you can rest your head on your hands. If you're in a pew, you can lean forward and rest your head on the pew back in front of you. So just find the position that is right for your body this morning. Your hands might be out in front of you. They might be back to your sides. And we'll just rest here for a few moments. Breathing in and breathing out. And if none of this movement is accessible to you, you can assume this position in your mind. And that can have as much benefit as doing it with your body. slowly walk ourselves back up and find a comfortable position to sit in. And now should we scoot ourselves? Yeah, because when you have a place where you can sit with your legs hanging off the edge, how do you pass up on that, right? If, if any of the um, physically larger people want to Scoot on up and enjoy your legs hanging over the edge. Feel free to. It's not often that we get to do this. So I'm curious. Take a minute to just notice how you're feeling now that we sat in child's pose for a few moments. I invite you to share a word about how you're feeling if you want to. A little bit dizzy, yeah. Maybe came up a little quickly. Connected. Connected? Loose. Loose? Yeah. yeah. Peaceful. No, no, like loose. Like my muscles. Yeah, your muscles are loose. Yeah. That was a stretch. It was a stretch. In many ways. Safe. Safe. Present, calm, still. So, child's pose that we just did is an interesting posture because it's a posture in which your head is below your heart. And when your head goes below your heart and you hold that pose for a little while, you shouldn't hold it for too long, it's not good for you. But if you hold it for a few moments, some interesting things happen in your body. 
and that can make some interesting things happen in your spirit. It can create um, a sense of calm. It can create a sense of being centered, of being present. And in this month where we are working with the theme of commitment, I wanted to share this practice with you to invite you into a potential commitment, all right? A commitment of doing a practice like this. Now, the thing with practice is that it um, only counts as a practice if you do it every day. And that might sound like a lot, right? Like doing a thing every day. But I'm curious, how many of you brush your teeth every day? Yeah. How many of you eat every day? Yeah. Yeah, mostly we remember. Drink water? Yeah. Uh, drink coffee, grown-ups? Out in the, yeah. Oh, that was like enthusiastic. That was like, yes, we are caffeinated. <laughs> so those are, all, those are all practices, right? Those are all things that we manage to do every day. We make time for them. I know when it comes to my coffee, I have to plan it out in advance and make sure that everything aligns just right to be able to do it. So there's many things like that. So here's my, here's my invitation to you. Two parts to the invitation. The first is to pay attention to how you're feeling later today and maybe tomorrow as well. Sometimes when we do a practice like child's pose, we don't notice things feeling a particular way until later. It's not always that we do a thing and then there's a result, right? The practice sometimes becomes uh, evident to us a little bit later. So that's the first part of the invitation. In yoga, sometimes people will commit to a practice for a certain length of time. And those durations are uh, 40 days, 90 days, 120 days, or 1,000 days. Yeah, right? A thousand days. I have definitely had coffee every day for more than a thousand days. So <laughs> I'm just saying, it's possible. Forty days, it is said, um, is how long it takes for a practice to become integrated, right? It's sort of like you have to do a thing for 40 days to kind of clear out space in your heart and your mind and your body in order for that practice to really become part of you. Ninety days is what it takes for that practice to become integrated, right? So that it's really like it is in your bones. 120 is for that practice to transform you, for it to work on you, whatever it is that it's going to do, and for that transformation to become real in your life. And a thousand days, as best as I can tell, is for bragging rights. And so my invitation to you all is to think about building a practice into your life. Think about doing it every day for some length of time. Maybe it's child, child's pose for a minute. Maybe it's something else. Talk to your grown-ups about it. And if you build this into your life, come back and tell us about it. We'd love to know how it, how it moves and grows in you. And so I'm going to invite you to, to go back to your, to your seats, and we're slowly going to invite you to go off to your classes after you get your shoes and all that. So take your time. Plenty, plenty of time. There is no rush. As we move into this time of prayer and meditation, let's hold on to that sense of connection that we touched with child's pose. Child's pose, yoga, each posture has a history uh, has a story associated with it. 
Stories are interesting things with families, right? I'm just now making this connection. So my uncle, my uncle in India told me that in, in Hinduism, festivals, prayers, the stories that they tell are so that those who are engaged in the practices, the prayer, the yoga, can over time learn to embody in themselves what that particular uh, deity or holiday or festival is about, right? That that's the purpose. It isn't praying to a god. It is creating that within us. The stories that are told about child's pose are connected to Krishna, one of the manifestations of God in Hinduism. And in particular, they are connected to the stories about Krishna as a child. Krishna as a child was apparently uh, always getting into trouble, always playing jokes on people, very mischievous. Child's pose invites our hearts, right, to bring that sense of um, childlike energy and joy and wonder and embodiment together with this physical posture that can open us up and connect us to something bigger. In that sense, bringing our physical reality and our divine reality into relationship with each other, all in a space of openness in the way that children can embody openness sometimes. And when I think about that, and I think about today, I cannot help but remember Trayvon Martin. Today is the anniversary of his death. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on his death today. His death was a tragedy. It was an utterly avoidable one. And it was one that sparked a movement that launched Black Lives Matter. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time on his death because I believe that we know Trayvon for all the wrong reasons, that we know him for his death and his martyrdom, not for his joy, not for his love, not for his playfulness. And so I want to invite you to join me in prayer today by bringing into your mind and your heart the black joy and love that should have been Trayvon's. He would have been 28 years old today. That was the age I was when my first child was born. And so congregation, for, for just this one moment, today on this last Sunday of Black History Month, I invite you to join me in sending our prayers rippling outward with all the force and hope and love that we can muster, praying that no more will we learn of black love through loss, but rather that our movements for justice and liberation will be inspired by the black joy and liberation that we experience and encounter in our daily lives that we as a congregation help to facilitate, foster, and to grow in the world. Rest with me here in that commitment for just a moment. There's a lot that we are holding in our sanctuary today. Joy and liberation Constraint, repression, sadness, laughter, despair and possibility, all of it is present. All of it shows up in our lives as our lives cycle through the many, many places that we visit physically emotionally and spiritually. And so I invite you this morning to speak aloud or to hold in your heart or to share in the chat those things that you would like to surround in the care of this congregation, that we might hold them with you, 
holding them together, making space for us all to hold more. As you hear the names of these beloved shared by those around you, as you feel these names and prayers rise up in your heart, as you read the names being shared in the chat, if it feels right to you, if you feel moved to give shape to the prayers of your spirit, I invite you to put a hand on on your heart or to hold a hand with an open palm or to maybe even rub your hands together gently like you were gentling a baby's back or a loved one who's in pain. In this space, we can feel all of these currents moving through us. Some of these threads wrapping around our hearts a little more than others. All of them present amongst us collectively. And so we open our hearts to this, to all of this. And in this shared space of holding, of loving one another, we pray that the grip of addiction be loosened, that the weight of oppression be lightened, that truth be told, that joy break through, and that love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so. Amen. Each week, one of the practices that we do together is the practice of generosity. As you might know, when we give and receive our offering, the majority of the offering goes out the door to support the work of organizations in the community that we partner with. This morning's offering goes to support our partnership, our multi-year partnership now, with Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, Blue, honestly does more things that I could tell you in an hour. And I strongly encourage you to find them online and to get a more comprehensive sense of all that they're doing. Very briefly, they are working, um, have been working to uh, build and strengthen a home within Unitarian Universalism for black folks. They hold online worship, they have uh, online and in-person small groups, and amongst the many things that Blue does, they have sponsored and supported uh, new research into um, Unitarian and Universalist theologies grounded in uh, the black experience. 
Another thing that Blue does, which you all may know a little bit better because it is much closer to us geographically, is that Blue is involved and we have been a core partner in their work to build housing on the north side of Minneapolis. These are just a few of the things that Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism does. Um, I encourage you to give as generously as you're able. And I invite the ushers to please come forward as we give and receive this morning's offering.
Thank you, Franco. For the last eight years, I was a Christian pastor leading worship at a progressive little UCC church down the road. The liturgical seasons rolled by and I rolled with them. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost. So went the church year every year. And so it went and went and went. And each season had a color associated with it. Advent was blue, Christmas and Epiphany were white. Lent was purple, Easter also white, but with gold too, let's be fancy about it. And Pentecost red. I often had my nails done to match and I had shoes and stoles to go with each one too. I'm a pretty hardcore femme pastor, but the colors were just meant as an external manifestation of the deeper meaning of the seasons. A spiritual calendar as opposed to just going by the time that was told by capitalism, imperialism, the world order as we know it. At least that's how we understood it at our scrappy little radical church. This year, being among you all at First Universalist has been an exercise in finding my own relationship to these traditions. I'm no longer a professional Christian worship leader. I don't have to follow these seasons or these spiritual rhythms if I don't want to. My nails have been, perhaps sadly, mostly naked this year. And I've worn the same stole every Sunday until today. And I find myself asking, without the trappings of professional duties, what do I actually feel called to practice? What are the traditions I need to feel whole and have spiritual integrity? What pieces of my religious inheritance nourish my capacity to transform the world? I'm honestly not sure. It's both freeing and disorienting. And I imagine many of you felt this too when you first started coming to First, Universal, First Universalist Church. It's a beautiful thing to have so much possibility, isn't it? Yeah. This past Advent, that season that's traditionally associated with waiting and spiritual preparation before Christmas, I ignored it all. I didn't wait for Christmas carols. I started listening to them around Halloween. <laughs> I didn't embrace the darkness. I put up as many lights as humanly possible before Thanksgiving. I was like a college kid in my first time away from home who decides to have dessert before dinner every night just because I could. But as we enter this season that Christians call Lent, I am trying to find my way as a spiritual adult instead. I'm remembering that personally and not just professionally, this is one of my favorite seasons of the church year. It started when I was in college. I had arrived on the East Coast from Minnesota two weeks before 9-11 happened. It was the event that shaped and shadowed my whole college experience. So I became heavily involved in multi-faith solidarity work. Every week, I had dinner with a group of Muslim, Jewish, Christian, UU, Buddhist, Baha'i, Hindu, and multi-belonging kids. There'd be a guest speaker. There'd be food. And it was out of those dinners that my curiosity about my own traditions grew. And my first deep dive into spiritual practice in any kind of sustained way was the season of Lent which required figuring out what it was. So first of all, biblically, Lent is the season when Christians remember the time of 40 days and 40 nights that Jesus spent alone in the wilderness seeking connection with God. He's said to have fasted much of that time. And all of this was preparation for his ministry in the, in the public sphere for his justice work, his teaching, his preaching, his healing. Go away from commerce and community. 
Be alone with God. Pray, remove all the distractions, and notice your body's wisdom. That was my takeaway. And I was a nerdy, introverted college kid with a penchant for mysticism and activism, so this was a good fit. I didn't fast, though. I got too hangry. But I read poetry about the wilderness daily as my prayer practice, as I held a warm cup of coffee in both hands in silence. I met a friend each week to talk about our practices together. There was no obligation, only longing and curiosity to find our way and make some meaning. And this year, I'm back to that orientation. No obligation, only longing and curiosity again. To prepare for this season and for today, I've come back to the traditional sacred texts of this season. And I've been reminded of the words of one of my theological mentors, Dr. James Cohn, who said, quote, kill whatever doesn't give your people life from the biblical tradition. Kill whatever doesn't give your people life. It's kind of like pruning. Or as I would put it, queer that tradition. Liberate it from canon or doctrine or dominion. Revolutionize what breathes still for the, sub for the sake of subversive and tender and fierce love. Then practice it in your body and as a politic. And I've also been in conversation this year with wise friends of all different faith traditions some of whom are on your worship team. We're pretty lucky around here. And this is what I'm learning. Lent is a variation of a theme across many major traditions from which we all come. Moses and Elijah went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days before receiving major revelations. Muhammad observed extended periods of ritual fasting and prayer, 10 to 30 days. Buddha prayed and fasted for six years, by some accounts. And now, across all of our traditions, we have Lent, Yom Kippur, Passover, Ramadan, Buddhist holy days, all of which involve some form of body prayer, of ritual fasting. And through these practices, each of them, each of them, call us more deeply and more consciously into relationship with our ancestors, with the suffering of others, with holiness, and with both the belovedness and vulnerability of our bodies. In fact, our bodies are the vessels of connection and transformation at the heart of these traditions and practices. They carry the whispers of our ancestors. They hold our chemical and cellular capacity for empathy with the suffering of others. They can magnify holiness when we are present to their senses. And they are beloved sources of delight and vulnerable reminders of fragility and mortality. This is their magic. This is why we have spent so much of this morning engaged in practices of the body, breathing together, singing together, child's pose, silence, hands on our hearts. Two weeks ago, Reverend Arif invited us all to pick a spiritual practice and, and commit to it. Now, Today, we've given you some possibilities, but if you are anything like me and commitment for an unspecified amount of time freaks you out, I want to invite you into a practice, any practice of your spiritual ancestors for the next 40 days. We can do it for 40 days, right? In the words of Mary Oliver, it doesn't have to be the blue iris, it could be weeds in a vacant lot, or a few small stones. Just pay attention and then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but a doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak.
My doorway this year is going to take a few forms. I'm going to reclaim purple as a color of adornment. Purple stoles. I now have a professional excuse to have my nails done. Purple clothing, prayer beads, lipsticks. Who says embodied spiritual practices can't be as fun as they are meaningful? Another will be removing social media from my phone. I have professional obligations to be on social media, so I'm just doing it on my phone. But if you feel like spontaneously joining me, I removed Facebook from my phone in the last service. This time it's Instagram. Anyone feel like joining me? Here we go. Bye-bye. Delete app. Yes, I'm sure. It's gone. Whew. Silence is too easily interrupted by scrolling for me. And finally, I am committing to 10 minutes of daily centering prayer. This is an ancient monastic spiritual practice. And I will be choosing a different word each week. And yes, go with me on the irony here. I'll be sharing that word with you through social media <laughs> and our various church publications. And you can practice with me if you like this practice. This week, we're beginning with the word beloved. And here's why. When Jesus left for his 40 days of retreat in the wilderness, he began with a spiritual cleanse in the River Jordan. And when he emerged, the voice of the Spirit is said to have proclaimed, this is my beloved child in whom I delight. Now in Christian circles, this is a moment that is read as the revelation of Jesus' divinity. But as a Christian universalist, I read it as a reminder to all of us of our essential divinity. The divine essence is waiting for each of us, inside each of us, when we peel back the layers of social training that have convinced us somehow we are not straight enough, not gender conforming enough, not white or light enough, not able enough, not religious enough, not independent enough, not rich enough, not happy enough, doc not documented enough, not neurotypical enough, not thin enough, not patriotic enough. You get it, right? Centering prayer for me is a way of giving up those enoughs for Lent. In fact, it's a way of practicing a different endgame altogether, the one we call beloved community. So find yourself right now a comfortable position for your spiritual instrument. It's the only one you have, your body. Let your feet rest on the earth through the ground. Let your weight fall more deeply into your seat. Place your hand on your belly if it helps you to drop and slow your breath. And just for a minute now, as you feel comfortable, close your eyes and speak that word beloved to yourself as an invitation to presence, to dreaming while awake. No matter where you are, beloved is where we begin, friends. May whatever practice you choose bring you into deeper and more conscious relationship of your ancestors, with the suffering of others, with love, with both the belovedness and vulnerability of your body. Amen. And let us breathe together again as we sing and return to our breaths hymn.
You are beloved. Go forth to be love. Go forth to embrace delight. Go forth to practice and return knowing you are always welcome back home to be refueled and continue to know that you are beloved. May it be so, and let us sing. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. If you've been nourished by what you've heard, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org donate to make your gift. We are a faith community committed to dismantling oppression and building beloved community. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Dot O-R-G.